I don't know how many times I've looked at themes relating to the Advent season uh, over the course of years of preaching. Uh, you just go for all over the place, you know, Old Testament stories, New Testament narratives. I, I, I don't know how many times I've tried to look at the Advent series, the Advent season, from a, try to get a fresh perspective. And I know last year I did a, a, some focus points on characters in the old in the, in the New Testament characters, and uh, I th- as I was thinking about it for this season, I thought, what do I do? I mean, I I, I certainly could amplify in some things, but I just felt prompted to go to something very different. So this is not directly Advent related, although it's interesting. I find some tie-ins quite obviously in in that. So I want to go to the Lord's Prayer. Now, for, for many of you, when you think of the Lord's Prayer, you think, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there is another Lord's Prayer that is the one that I want to go to today. And it's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. It is part of the upper room, some refer to as the upper room discourse, the upper room uh, setting where Jesus is with his disciples and he's preparing them for things. If you go back to uh, uh, about chapter 13, you actually 12, uh, after the triumphal entry, he gathers with his disciples in chapter 13, and there uh, is in, the, in this upper room with them. So a lot of the teaching from John in chapter 13, 14, and 15 is wonderful, wonderful teaching. It's just a, a snapshot into the heart of Christ for mankind, for his disciples. And uh, But I, I want to break in to the 17th chapter and look at, Technically, the, the Lord's real prayer, uh, different than the one you would find in Matthew chapter 6. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but did you ever come into the middle of something or enter into something uh, and, and you felt like, like, like you were in an awkward spot and you'd like to just kind of back away again and hopefully nobody noticed that you were there? Maybe... Maybe it's coming into the midst of a family argument. Pastor knocks at the door and hears words going on inside. And there are people yelling and screaming at each other. And they open the door and say, well, Pastor, how are you today? And you kind of think, well, I guess I'm okay. Everybody better than you. Uh, uh, You walk into a situation and they're talking about something that's rather personal. And you feel like maybe... Maybe I just intruded in something. I recall a story of a of a young man that was living at home, and he had uh, a, a mother that, that prayed for him regularly and uh, would often rise early in the morning to do that. Uh, the son was about to go out uh, on an event and heard the mother praying for him again. The event he was going to, um, 
was not a wholesome activity. It was probably not good judgment for him to do that. But the prayers of his mother, the words in particular, were a thing that kind of brought truth to his heart, and he gave pause to that business. But he kind of stumbled onto his mom praying in the, in the room and overheard the prayer and the cry of the mother's heart, and it had an effect. Um, I, I feel like when you come into John 17, it's almost like you're intruding in a personal prayer area. Because this is really Jesus' prayer, talking to the Father, and uh, some of the things that are about that. Um, I'm going to, in the 17th chapter, if we get when we get through it all, it's going to break up into a couple different parts, at least. The first part is the first five verses, which are like an inward focus, if you will. It's the heart of Jesus for himself. Now, you don't often find Jesus, you know, saying, gimme, 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 like we do with our prayer. Now, gimme this, gimme that, I need this. And, you know, Jesus seemed to be very other-centered. He knew who he was knew his father, but you don't find him often praying for himself. But here is the first five verses is an arena in which that prayer is offered, and it does have to do with him in particular. So I'm going to read the first five verses, and we'll, we'll go into it. After Jesus said this, and, and this is all the instructions, 13, 14, 15, 16, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. We could take a lot of time parking on words in this particular portion of Scripture. It seems like every time a, a phrase comes up, there's a new potential rabbit trail you could go on, and a good rabbit trail. This is not diversion. This is stuff you could go into and go deep into. And uh, all I would say is if, if I don't go deep enough for you, you can go deeper still in, in, the, in the heart of John 17. So I want to look at at this focus of Jesus, uh, the heart of Jesus for himself. And there are several things over which he spends his time in terms of prayer. The first is he prayed over his time. He prayed over his time. And as he begins that prayer in the first verse, in, it says, Father, the time has come. Some translations will say, Father, the hour has come. And when you talk about time, you, you talk about moments and, and the chronology of time. 
But the Bible uses two words to discuss time. And actually, neither one of those words are used here. The Bible uses two words. It talks about chronos. We get our word chronology from that. And that's just the sequential time of things. It's, it's minutes, it's seconds, it's hours. It's just as time marches along. The Bible also uses the word kairos, which is more focusing on the quality of time. It's not how much time you spent on earth, but what was the quality of that time? What did you accomplish? What did you invest in? What did you do? Here, when Jesus talks about that, he's talking about a different concept. It's not so much even the quality or quantity of time. It's 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 the it's it's the events of time uh, that are preparing or leading up to a realization that something is going to turn over. For instance, if you recall back to John, uh, John's gospel early in John chapter 2, the first miracle that Jesus ever does is the changing of water into wine. The gospel of John records seven miracles that Jesus does. The first of which is the changing of the water to wine. Uh, I have to be careful because sometimes I get that mixed up, changing of wine to water. But, uh, you know, anyway, it's water to wine. Um, at, the, at a wedding, at a wedding. And his mother, Jesus, comes to him and says, we've run out of wine, we're in trouble, we've got to do something about this. And comes to Jesus and says, you need to do something about this. And Jesus says to her, Woman, I, 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 it would have been nicer if you would have said mother, but but maybe that isn't me. Uh, I don't think there was any disrespect, but but the point is that woman, what are you what are you bothering me this for? What, what are you troubling me with this for? My hour has not yet come. Same word that John 17 uses. My hour. In other portions of scripture. Uh, he uses the same language. For instance, um, uh, John chapter 13, it was, before the, it was before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come, his hour had come, for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Yeah, there was a realization that something was changing. If you went back to chapter uh, 12, and verse 23, there's another reference there where Jesus says, um, Jesus replied, um, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Something has changed in all of the time that he's been investing and spending in the number of years on this earth. Something is beginning to shift. And while in John 2, he says, That's not, it's not time yet. When he gets into the 12th chapter, he says he realized that something else is happening. And so there's this shift in time. He prayed over his time. Father, the time has come. It is clear that Jesus was a man who had a clear mission. If you wanted to find out how to encapsulate that mission, I'd take you to the Gospel of Luke chapter 4. It was interesting. We were reading this the other night in our Bible reading plan. When he enters into the temple um, in the fourth chapter, he, he reads this passage of scripture from the book of Isaiah, from prophet Isaiah, 
Verse 17 says, The scroll of prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found a place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery for, of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If you're looking for a nutshell version of what his mission would be, Luke 14 will serve you well. He was a man who had a clear mission. And when, when a person knows what their mission is and purpose is, it enables them to, to rightly order their time. The quality or quantity of it in either one would be appropriate. Jesus was a man with an understanding of timing. He knew that there were things that perhaps needed to be done, but it wasn't the right time to do them at this point. We've all probably dealt with that. You can, you, you, maybe, maybe you are a list person and you, you, you established uh, this long to-do list or honey-do list, depending if you're a wife, and you just create this kind of thing uh, to, be, to be done. But not everything on that list is to be done right away. And so when I am asked, uh, I need this, the question I will often pose back to the woman that I live with, my wife, um, is, uh, is, is when do you need it done? Do you need it done right now? You, you know, uh, and so you, you, you find out what the right timing of things is. And uh, so it, it, Jesus was a man who understood this issue and understanding of timing. Not everything was to be done at a certain time, but it was, it was to be done at the appropriate time, at the right time. And, of course, uh, Christ, in dependence on the Father, was able to sense that rightness of time. Jesus was a man who never seemed to be in a hurry. I was, I was always struck by that. Um, you know, you would think that with the demands that were put upon him and everybody coming after him and wanting a piece of him to get what they felt they really needed, that uh, he'd be he'd be pulled hither and yon, and he'd be scurrying around trying to fix this person or that person, solve that problem, that issue, address that need. You'd think he'd be out there running around, but you never sense as you read the Gospels that Jesus is in a hurry. Apart from the fact that he he does say, "I need to be about my Father's business." He, there is that sense of drive or purpose that he has at that point. But he's never in a big rush. It seems like everybody else wants him to be in a hurry to get. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to go here. You need to go there. Your friend Lazarus is dead. Don't worry about it. We'll go in a few days. But no, if you go now, you'll deal with the problem. He said, no. He said, just don't worry. Don't worry. He was always a man who prayed over his time. I think about that, I guess, personally. I think about the investment of time. I know, in theory, I'm, I'm kind of retired and doing these interim ministries. But you kind of wonder, Lord, you know, what, what, what is the timing of things? I'm sure we all deal with the timing of things. We're dealing with the timing of things in terms of a prospective candidate who would come. And when will that happen? And we want to say, well, okay, is it going to be next week? Is it going to be next week? How about, how about last week? Can we do, you know, and we want that kind of thing. 
But in an issue of timing, he, Jesus prays over his time. His hour had come. As he put it in that uh, verse, first verse, John 17, 1. My hour, the hour, the time has come. I'm wondering, you know, how we do in terms of praying over our time. What we do that I, hopefully it's, it's more than just, uh, just, just uh, putting, you know, sequences together, activity to do and all that kind of thing. But I, I would say God is very interested in how we view our time and how we invest our time. It's something that God has a way of capturing our hearts with, and, and we get to invest it in for him. So Jesus prayed over his time. The second thing from this John 17 passage is that Jesus prayed over his gift. <clears throat> Here's what verse 2 said. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. He prayed over his gift. The gift of Jesus to us is eternal life. Eternal life. Now, it would be kind of like preaching to the choir on this one, but I, I, we, we, we have to be careful. We never lose sight of the fact that eternal life is a gift that comes from God. It's not the duration, but the quality of time. <clears throat> we talked about that, the difference between chronos and kairos time. The moment by moment and then the quality of time. It's, it's more about eternal life. And even when Jesus talks about that, and he's going to give us eternal life, <clears throat> we think of what, uh, what, what, what eternal life we, we equate with, a time where we spend with God in heaven, future. And we're going to receive that. He has promised that life to us. And that is, that is true. That's there. But the gift of Jesus is eternal life, and it's not... It's not functioning in terms of hours or days or years. The scriptures talk about a, a, a brief period of time. A day is like a, a different period of time in the, in the economy of God. So it, it's not a restricted kind of thing. <coughs> but he gives to us eternal life. Never lose sight of the fact that what Jesus longs to give is eternal life. For as much as this prayer is focusing on terms of Jesus' prayer for himself. This is always, again, including this gift that he gives to us. So when you talk about the Advent season and the giving and receiving of gifts, without question, the greatest gift that we would ever receive is the gift of eternal life. That gift is given primarily because of his divine authority. The scriptures say there, you granted him authority over all people. He has the authority to do that. Now, there's a difference between power and authority. A burglar may break into your home, and he may have the power to do that, but he doesn't have the authority to do that. A policeman can come to your house, and he has both the authority and the power. He has the power to do it, and he has the authority to do it because he's been given there. He's... he's properly uh, instructed and, and uh, authorized to do that. Jesus can give to us eternal life because of his authority. The authority granted him over all people. The interesting thing about this eternal life 
is that it's offered to us as a gift, but it's forced on no one. He does not make you receive this life. Even, even if you start talking about the, you know, the, the decree of God or the sovereignty of God or the, the election of God, of God's people, even if you start moving in discussion about that, it always includes the free will. He, he does not railroad over anybody. He offers to us eternal life. Does everybody receive it? No. Tragically, no. Are they, are they able to receive it? Yes. But it involve, involves their choice, their selection, their cooperation with the purposes of God because the Son has been given authority over all people. There are other portions of Scripture we'll come to eventually. As, well, again, I talk about this authority piece, but it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the basis for us for him to be able to offer to any of us eternal life. He's authorized to do that. He has power and the authority to do that. <clears throat> the gift is receivable because of God's initiative. When the word became flesh and dwelt among us, as John says, it, it begins to unfold the story of how God took the initiative to send his only begotten son. That's John 3. Verse 16, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have zoe, life, aeonon, eternal life, should have all of that because of what Christ has done in taking the initiative. Uh, sometimes <clears throat> there are opportunities we have, and it, it requires some response from us. It requires some initiative from us. Sometimes things don't get done because we don't take the initiative. And uh, yet when you do, the prospect of something else being able to be accomplished exists. But if we don't take advantage of the opportunity, if we don't take the initiative, we may never get to that point. Same way in terms of our relationship with God, we understand that we didn't first love God but he first loved us, and he took the initiative. And boy, I want to tell you, I'm grateful he did. I'm grateful he did. Because if God waited for me, I'd probably have a whole lot of things that would get in the way that would keep me from ever responding to him. It is his initiative. Uh, Book of Romans says, God commended, demonstrated his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that is the amazing initiative of the love of God, his gift to us in terms of eternal life. And that gift is focused uh, on intimacy. Verse 3 would, would puts it this way. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life. And after the word life, you have a colon, which means there's some description that's going to be following that tells you what eternal life is about. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now, when, when you use that, that word, uh, know you, uh, there's many uses for that in the Bible. 
Um, the gift is focused on intimacy. Intimacy. I, I remember a number of years ago where uh, 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 some material we were covering as a group, and uh, the fellow's name was John Sanford, and he had, he had written written a book and describing talking about relationships. And he used the word intimacy, and he said, uh, perhaps the best description of intimacy is is to just kind of break that word down and say, into me, see, S-E-E, into me, see. So intimacy is being able to let people see who you are and being able to see who people really are. Now, you can talk about knowing people, but you don't. Many times you don't know people. Uh, you know, uh, we've, I've gotten to know Roger a bit uh, now since he's been coming. But, uh, yeah, I know Roger a little bit. I'm not picking on you, Roger. So just hang on. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you know. But if I really wanted to get to know Roger, I'd take him out to eat, although COVID gets in the way of that. But anyway, but uh, I, I, I'd get to, I, and, and if I really wanted to get to know Roger, I'd move into his house. And, and I'd see how, how he operates with his family members there. And, and uh, it, it requires an investment of time. So you can know somebody and say, yeah, I know. I know the guy that runs the mechanic shop across the street. I know the guy who's the superintendent of this school or that school. But sometimes you don't really know that person until you spend time with them. And that's the direction <clears throat> that God longs for us to discover in terms of this eternal life is that there's that intimacy I have, I have that they may know you, that they may know you. That same phrase is uh, used of the sexual intimacy of a husband and wife together in terms of knowing one another. And it's that same direction. It's the depth of that intimacy where, where we have with God. And this is that eternal life. God longs for us not to just kind of get to some destination that we, that we yeah, that, that'll be okay. It's a matter of, whoa, man, I want to get to know you. I am all over that. And, and there's that moving in to the acquaintance and intimacy with God. This is eternal life, that they may know you and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's a part of the gift of eternal life. So as Jesus prays in this John 17, he prays over his time, understanding that Sequence of events is now beginning to get more and more real. And he prays over the gift that he has in terms of giving that to all those that God has given him. We can talk about a doctrine of election from that particular portion of scripture. But one final piece is that Jesus prayed over his work, his work. He says in verse four, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. That work was completed by Christ. When Jesus comes to this earth, uh, he is born, begins to grow up, goes to the temple for an annual festival, and then however you do this, I, it's, it's not within... It's not out of the realm of possibility. But Jesus, Jesus gets left in Jerusalem when the family goes back home. You recall the story where Jesus' mother and Joseph were saying, 
after they've gone a little ways, they realize he's not with the other family members. You know, I thought he was. I thought I thought you said he was going to so and so. I thought you can just envision how they can. So they go back, and it takes them three days to find out where this Jesus is, and and then when they do find him, they find him in the temple, and the story is told there. The language of Jesus is this: Didn't you know that I need to be about my father's work? His business. And uh, <clears throat> the first indications of the importance of the work that God had for him to do. That work was completed. Now I realize that in John 17, we're in the middle of this upper room discourse. He's facing the cross. That's going to happen pretty quickly in terms of the events that unravel. Uh, that he ends up going to the cross, and that, I believe, is very much at the heart of the work of Jesus. He came, he did amazing things, healed people, did miraculous events, uh, fish in nets, uh, bread for, for 5,000, 7,000, whatever, whatever the miracle is, all of those kinds of wonderful things. Healing people who had leprosy, people who were blind, all of those kinds of things, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful works. But it was not to be compared to the work that God had for him to do on the cross. And as much as we talk about this Advent season in terms of the coming of Christ, John 17 talks about the work. I have brought glory, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me. That it was completed by Christ and it was also glorified by the Father. Verse 5 says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I guess I, <clears throat> my understanding is that the earliest recorded writings that document history back to is about 3500 B.C. from what I read once by where they've discovered some, some parchment pieces from somewhere in Iran. Uh, but, but, you know, you can go back to codification of stuff that way. When Jesus wants to date himself, when Jesus wants to get anchored in history, it, it, it transcends history. It goes beyond that. He said, and now glorifying in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Um, the work of Jesus on our behalf was a forethought in the mind of God before even the world was spoken into existence. You have to go back a long way to hear that heart of God and the glory that was Jesus's with his father. And then this John 17 prayer that Jesus offers first for himself and, and then he'll eventually wrap wider to the disciples. It was prayer over his time, the time that he had. It was prayer over the gift that he was giving to you, to me, to his followers as they would come after him. It was prayer over the work that he had accomplished. Could there have been more people healed? I suppose so. Could, could there have been more diseased people that were freed from a lifetime of misery, I'm sure. But Jesus' ultimate work 
was the sacrifice on the cross for his life uh, to take away the sin of the world. When we listen to this conversation, this prayer of Jesus with his father, Abba Father, Daddy, we get a glimpse into the selfless heart of Christ. There's no panic in the prayer. There's only peace. There's no desperate grasping onto things to avoid what was coming, what he knew was inevitable. Only the calm resolve of one who had lived a life that God had, had that God had been had given to him, and we'd be glorified in. Our challenge is to learn how to pray over the time that God gives to us, over the gift that he has given to us and the work that he has for each one of us to do. This is, this is the first look into this high priestly prayer, someone has described it as, of Jesus on behalf of his disciples, himself, his disciples, and the disciples that he would receive later as well, which includes us. So my prayer is that in this Advent season, we'll, we'll get a good look at the heart of Christ. If, if that's what Advent is about, the, the coming of Christ, we're going to get a good look into what the heart of Jesus was all about as we look at this portion of Scripture. Um, as you came in, you may have picked up uh, one of these communion pieces. And uh, it's probably appropriate at this point to observe that because we're reminded about the gift of Christ for us, given for us, the gift of eternal life. So if, if you didn't get one, there's some on the table. I'll give you a moment and to fetch those and feel free to do that. He, Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It is God's gift to us that enables us to come and, and take a, a very simple element like a, a wafer of bread and be reminded as Jesus reminded his disciples in that upper room, this is my body, which is given, given for you. It's for you. He is for us. He says, I want you to participate in that. So let's pause for prayer, and then we'll eat together. So, Father, sometimes when we get a bit selfish in our prayers, <clears throat> we are we are checked in our spirit and we say, well, really, this it's not about me, God. It's I need to be a, a person for other people. But yet here is your son praying for himself in his relationship with you, that he would accomplish the work you had, that he that he would be able to understand and discern the time of things, that he would that he would bless people with a gift gift of eternal life. And so praying for himself, praying for ourselves, isn't bad necessarily, especially when it reminds us of what you have done for us as Jesus gave himself. So 
as we eat together this morning. Bless, I pray, this people, each one as they have come, and uh, help us to sense the presence of Emmanuel, God with us, even as we eat together today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's eat together. Then the scriptures say that when he, after he had taken the bread, he took the cup. And he says, I have something new. I have something for you. This cup is a new covenant. It's not the same old. It's not a remanufacturing. It's a new covenant relationship that I established with you. He says, I want you to drink, all of you. I want you to drink all of it. Um, because in doing this, you proclaim my death until I come. Let's pray first. Father, you know our hearts. And uh, certainly there, there flows from our heart of gratitude. Maybe it's a stream. Maybe it's a river but it comes toward you because you have given us everything that we need. You've given us eternal life. You've given us the knowledge of the Holy and the Holy One. And we only scratch the surface at times on that, but we're grateful that there is more to you to know. So as we drink together, um, draw us in more intimate ways to you, with you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Drink together, please. <clears throat> if you want to settle in with a portion of Scripture over these next many weeks, John 17 is a good place to go. Um, you'll, get a, you'll get a picture of the heart of Jesus for you. And for people that he will draw to himself. Glad you could be able to join us today. Pray the Lord will encourage you. Pray for the body. You know, we're, we're we're impacted by this COVID thing and people are wrestling through with that stuff or maybe apprehensive about stuff. Just pray that God would give us his peace and his presence and minister to us uh, just day at a time, day at a time. Use well the gift of time God gives to you. May the Lord bless you and keep you and may he lift up his countenance upon you. May he be very gracious to you. May he give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen.